Well, good morning, church. So it is cool for me that we are able to have some of our weekday preschool kids here with us this morning. So if you're only here on Sundays, or maybe you're here during the week, but only in the evenings, if that's you, then you don't get to see what in Maryland say, 155 kids that are part of our Mannheim BIC preschool. And because our weekday preschool and our weekend gatherings tend to travel in separate lanes, whenever we can do anything like this to bring those two together, I'm always a big fan of that. And so if you're here this morning and you are part of our preschool, I want you to hear it from me. I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. Last week, I told you about our, our Gratitude Sunday, which is coming next week. And so as, as part of our, our time together, we're going to create space in that service to hear from you if you want to interact with, with Psalms 105, which starts this way. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. And so because next Sunday is right after Thanksgiving, we're going to actually have an open sharing time where we make the mic available to you for a minute or two if you want to share with us a tangible way that that God has been good to you over the past year, specifically interacting with this question in both the highs and the lows of your life in 2018, how have you seen God's goodness to you? And so look for that coming next week. But for today, we are back into our series that we are calling Life with King Jesus, how Christ invites you into a beautiful life of of surrender. And these conversations that we've been having, it's really all about the reality of King Jesus, a a reality of, of being in the world and responding to the world around us that is available to you and can become more and more a part of your life. This way of Jesus comes to us from what is is probably Christ's most popular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and is a conversation that ties to the kinds of things that every single one of us in this room deals with. Things like anger and sexual temptation and lying, and conflict, and revenge, and this morning we get to talk about pride. And in each of these areas that we have have been talking about, we've looked at how Jesus invites us into a way that is better than our usual very human defaults, our usual very human go-to moves. Jesus invites us into a better way of living. Jesus offers us this invitation into a beautiful kind of life. And and I think for us, this thing that we're talking about this morning, pride, is if we're honest, it it, it can be super tricky. Like if I were to ask you this morning, how, how many of us, and I'm not asking you this, so don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask you this, how many of us deal with pride? Some of us could put our hands up, but there would be a percentage of us that could not put our hands up because we cannot, because of pride, admit that we have that kind of struggle. So, so pride is tricky like that, but it can also be tricky in other ways. 
See, to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been going after things that you and I can pretty quickly identify as being dangerous. So murder and anger. Anybody want to make a case that those are good things? Lying and stretching the truth, right? We can pretty easily see that those will come back to bite you. Hate and getting payback have a way of only continuing and getting deeper as that cycle of pain goes on and on and on. As that that cycle gets out of control easily when it comes to conflict. Right, we can pretty easily see the dangers that are there, but today Jesus is going to touch on giving to the needy and praying and fasting. And fasting just simply means putting things aside to, to allow you to have a greater bandwidth to focus on God. And so, so Jesus has been doing, and what we're going to see him do in our passage this morning is no different than what he's been doing in, in our prior conversations. See, when Jesus talks about murder, he goes deeper, right? He, he goes after the anger that drives people to violence, when Jesus talks about sexual purity, he goes deeper and asks, so, so what's happening in your thought life? And Jesus isn't just addressing behavior and inviting you into a beautiful kind of life in your behaviors alone. You have to know that your behavior comes from someplace. And so because of that, Jesus is always going to go after your heart, the, the core of who you are, the part of you that drives your behaviors, right? And if we can understand that heart dynamic, it's easy to see how things that are obviously wrong come from a disordered heart. But, but what's trickier to see is how easily a, a disordered heart can lie underneath things that no one is going to object to. A disordered heart can just as easily lie underneath amazing things such as generosity and praying and fasting. And because pride can easily attach itself to some, some, some very good things, it can lie undetected and that makes it especially tricky. In talking about pride, Jesus is going to use a word that we're going to see in our hypocrite in, in our text this morning, I'm getting ahead of myself, and that word is hypocrite. A word that is in ancient Greek actually taken from the theater. A, a word that was used to describe someone who is playing a role, someone who is putting on a performance. So that word hypocrite gets, gets borrowed from the theater and comes to have a sharper meaning. Hypocrite is the word that you and I use to describe a fraud. Have we all heard the charge that the church is full of hypocrites? That the church is full of frauds? Right? Those of us who have had church play a significant part in our lives, when, when we hear that, we react against that, Right? At some level, we do not want to believe that that charge is true, but Jesus makes the point that being a hypocrite can be a very real danger for us. Here's how David Benner describes this danger. And he starts with what is a baseline understanding of those who seek to follow Jesus. Human beings were designed for intimate relationship with God and cannot find fulfillment of their true and deepest self apart from that relationship. But then Benner goes on. 
the notion of becoming our true self in Christ emphasizes the fact that there are true and false ways of living. Most of us can identify ways we wear masks of our own creation. The fact that we are capable of thinking about how we want to behave in any given situation shows that we can make choices about this. Inherent in this choice is the fact that we can choose to live a lie, we can choose to pretend to be someone or something that we are not. And I I play off that last sentence and I make it into a question. The question is this, in what ways do you pretend to be someone or something that you are not? So let's take this question into our scripture for this, this morning, into Matthew 6. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we know that you are here. You are here in this space. You are here with us. You are here for us. You are here in us. And we want to respond to your presence. We want to respond to your presence in your word by being present to you to the best of our ability to lay down those things this morning that that might steal our focus, that might get in the way of our ability to hear from you. We thank you, Father, for Jesus because it's only through Jesus and in Jesus that we have access to this beautiful life that he invites us into. And so we, we come this morning knowing that we are, are able to approach you in all honesty. You already know, that's a point in our scripture, you already know what is going on inside each and every one of us. Some of us are here this morning anticipating what we are about to read. Some of us are indifferent. Some of us are going to be antagonistic to what we are about to see. And really all points in between. But no matter where we find ourselves this morning, Father, as we open your word, help us to experience what is true. What is true about you, what is true about reality, what is true about us. As we open your word, allow us to see how you are inviting us to respond to you and your absolutely without limit love for each and every one of us. We pray these things in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. If I can stop right there for just a second. Right out of the gate, Jesus says, watch out, right? If you are going to do things for likes, for an attaboy, an girl, for a pat on the back, if you're going to do good deeds for those reasons, watch out. And Jesus is going to give us four scenarios, and the scenario has a basic structure. Don't do that, but rather do it like this, and here's why you should do it like this. Scenario one, verse two. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. 
But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. In this first scenario, Jesus is actually doubling down. He's not simply saying, hey, don't do good deeds for a pat on the back from others, but don't do your good deeds for a pat on the back from yourself. That's what that that line about the right hand and the left hand is getting at. Jesus is saying, listen, if, if, if you start to think, right, we've got this Mannheim Central food drive all of that food out in the lobby. Jesus is warning us, if you are thinking, I am such a good person. I brought in four boxes of cereal and five cans of tuna and six, six rolls of toilet paper. I am such a good person. If you've got that kind of congratulatory dialogue in your head, Jesus says, watch out. Scenario two, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Scenario three. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So as Jesus talks the glitzy, show-off kind of prayers and mechanical prayers, he gives us a template for what prayer is should look like beginning in verse 9. And we're not going to go there this morning, but just know that as that prayer starts, the words have little to do with you and I, right? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth. If we jump down to verse 16, Jesus gives us our, our fourth scenario And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward that they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except for your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Right, So if we go back to that question that I gave you a few moments ago, in what ways do you engage in these look-at-me behaviors? In what ways do you put on a performance? In what ways do you pretend to be someone or something that you are not? That's an important question for us, but I think an even more important question is why? Why are you tempted to pretend to be someone or something that you are not? Right? If your behavior comes from someplace, if there is a very real temptation to put on a performance, to to project and protect an image that may not be true about yourself, where does that kind of thing come from? The author, James Bryan Smith, gives us some insight into this. And he traces it back to a very real human need to be affirmed. Here's what he writes. The narrative that gives rise to our need for affirmation is a story that we learn early in our lives. 
When we do well, we receive affirmation. When we do poorly, we receive no affirmation and may be criticized. You ate all your peas, you are so good. Or you did not finish your peas off to your room and no dessert. Life continues this way at each phase from school to sports to jobs. Do great things and your value increases, fail and your value decreases. Over time, we begin to hunger for others' affirmation because it seems to establish our value. Positive appraisal can become more important than actually being good or doing well. The world measures our worth on the basis of our appearance. Production and performance, which seems to be the only things that count. This narrative says our value is determined by others' assessment. If they say that we are good, then we are. Image is everything in our world. We feel the need to be appreciated, respected, applauded, and affirmed for what we do. Then we feel good about ourselves. The need for love is temporarily satisfied by admiration. It is, it is the only substitute that we can find. Unfortunately, admiration based on our looks, our performance is fickle and fleeting. We are only good as our next performance. And I think that quote is super important for us this morning because like, I know that there are straight up narcissists that are out there, but, but many of us are busy projecting and protecting an image because we need. It, it is a fundamental basic human need, not just to be affirmed, but we need to matter. We need to be valued. We need to be loved. And the reason that that you find it so easy to project and protect an image that, that might be very far from the real you is that you have the sneaky suspicion that if people were to find out what you are really like with your sin and your messes, and your insecurities, and your hang-ups, if people were to find out what you are really like, they would not affirm you, they would not accept you, they would not love you. And because that is a very real fear, many of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are curating an image. That's what we call it in 2018. I think if Jesus were to to give these scenarios today, he might go after the kinds of things that church people post on social media. Jesus might go after Instagram. I found this this week. It says, Christian selfies on Instagram. A popular template I've noticed is as follows. A cup of coffee on a table in a public space. The saucer next to some devotional literature that lies open with a couple of sentences underlined. Getting in some time with Jesus at my favorite coffee shop, the caption might read. The actual person in this selfie looms in the background fuzzily. What does this photo convey to the viewer about the subject? That the subject is devout or rather that the subject wishes to be seen as devout. Right? The same thing that's going on in Matthew chapter 6 by himself and his audience. His selfie essentializes his devotion, making it a fact about him. But a person's devotion is hardly a fact. If we're honest, it's a constant struggle. The faithful one in the relationship between God and ourselves will always be God who loves us first 
in spite of our constant resistance to his love. We all know, at least on some level, that what we're seeing in someone else's selfie is not a completely accurate depiction of who that person is. We know that they chose that moment, that angle, and that outfit because it shows them at their best, or their goofiest, fittest, most thoughtful, etc., Despite all the hashtag no filters, we all self-filter all the time and selfies have just made it easier. Because our need for affirmation and love is endless, we all seek answers to the questions, do you love me? Am I good enough in every interaction? When we browse Instagram accounts for longer than we had ever intended or stare at friends' bright selfies on our isolating screens, the question might look more like, what is my value compared to you? Am I as good as you? We will continue asking these questions of every interaction and every photo until we understand that the answer to all of these questions has always been because of God before we even ask the question, A resounding yes. Did you catch the questions that were in that article? Very same questions. Am I lovable? Am I good enough? What is my value? See, the reason that Jesus is calling out these look at me behaviors in Matthew chapter 6 is because Jesus has severe words for those who, who use religion as a power trip to advance their bottom line. Right? That's absolutely in here. But at the same time, there is an invitation in these words. Right here in Matthew 6, it's an invitation for you and I to see. Right? There's that repeating line from our scripture that says, God sees, God knows. Did you pick up on that? See, in those words, there's an invitation for you and I. God is inviting you to see. God is inviting you to know. To see and know what he sees and what he knows. And if we extrapolate that, I think we can land on three basic ideas coming out of the words from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is inviting you to see God's incredible love for you. Jesus is inviting you to see others. And Jesus is inviting you to see your own heart. So let me say a quick word about each one of these. The thing, if we are doing this church thing right, the thing that we orbit around here at Mannheim BIC every single time that we get together is God's love for you and I made tangible and made concrete through Jesus. That despite our sins, despite our dysfunctions, despite our hangups, despite our pasts, Despite the messes that we are making in our life right now, despite the mistakes that we will make tomorrow, the kind of things that we attempt to hide and try to allow no one else to see, again, this idea of this image that we project and protect, right? That God already, this is the point in our scripture, God already fully knows our sins, our dysfunctions, our pasts, our messes, and our mistakes, right? That's clearly in our Matthew 6 scripture from this morning. God knows it all. 
for every single person in this room right now, God knows all of your stuff and God meets every single one of us in the middle of your mess. God meets you there with open arms. And you only find that kind of love in following Jesus. Right? This is not religion which says, well, first you clean up your mess and then you come to God. No, true Christianity is God coming to you right where you are at. Right in the middle of your mess, you simply have to throw your arms open to Jesus. Whether it is for the first time or you have been following Jesus for a while now and it is your 50,000th time. The dynamic is this, Jesus, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. We sang about this earlier. Jesus, I need you to rescue me. Jesus is inviting you to see others. One of the reasons that we are so quick to project and protect an image, something different than what we truly are is because it is absolutely in us. If you know the story, think back to the Garden of Eden. Right, Adam and Eve tell God, God, thanks, but no thanks. Right, we'll do things our way. We'll take it from here. And as soon as they walk away from God and they realize what they've done, what do they do? They hide. So our tendency to hide goes back to the very beginning. Yet church, do we do a good job of creating a safe place for people to put down their masks, to put down their self-curated images, and to come out of hiding? Do we make it easy for people to be real and honest about the hard things in their lives? We can talk about this in terms of of the church across history, but what about us? What about you and I right here, right now? What about Mannheim BIC? Do we make it easy for someone to, to come out into the open with their struggles? Do we make it easy and safe for someone to be honest about the hard things in their lives and then embrace them with the love of Jesus? I can tell you this. If the answer to that question is no, then that absolutely breaks God's heart. Brings us to our third point. Jesus is inviting you to see your own heart. So here's how this ties back. You will not be able to extend grace. You will will not be able to embrace someone who is wrestling with the sins of their life. You will not be able to extend grace, will not be able to extend love to someone else's darkness unless you know the limitless grace of Jesus for yourself. Unless you know that kind of love for yourself, you will not be able to invite someone to lay down their mask unless you are laying down your mask as well. And that you have found that to be exhilarating and free. And you want others to experience that same kind of freedom in Jesus too. 
And because pride is tricky, and we've talked about this earlier, if, if you are not finding a way to look at your own heart with Christ's help, you may not even see the, the sneaky ways that pride is pushing its, its roots deep into your life. And because you won't look or don't know how to look or can't look because you're afraid of what you'll see, if you can't look at your own heart, you are missing an opportunity at being free. See, the freedom, the freedom of humility is only ever truly in reach for any one of us because of Christ's humility. A humility that led Jesus to a criminal's death on a cross. A humility that led him to his death and is the greatest demonstration in this world of just how very much God loves you. You are truly, whether you realize it or not, regardless of what you've done and who you are, whether you're new to this Jesus thing or have been doing this Jesus thing for years now, you are loved beyond your wildest imagination. One last quote and we're done. I'll ask the worship team to come on back. The kingdom's narrative opposes the world's narrative. You are valuable to God. God loves you no matter what. Your worth is not dependent on your performance or on what others think of you. Your worth is found in the loving eyes of God. If you win, God loves you. If you lose, God loves you. If you, are, if, you are, if you fast and pray and give your money to the poor, God loves you. If you are sinful and selfish, God loves you. He is a covenant God and his love never changes. You are valuable, precious, and worth dying for just as you are. When the kingdom's narrative replaces the false narratives, we are able to play without needing to win, love without needing to receive, pray without feeling pious, and serve without needing to be thanked. Our value is set. Our worth is stable and unchanging. We are loved and valuable no matter what people tell us. When that narrative penetrates our hearts, we become free people indeed people free to choose humility, free from the need to perform, wear a mask, project, protect an image that is far from who we really are, free to be loved and to show love and all because and just like King Jesus.